So, how do we get AI right? Well, we need the right volume of data, the software to train it, and massive compute power, or... Another one bites the dust. Are you ready? Hey, are you ready for this? Are you hanging on the edge of your seat? But with HPE GreenLake, we get access to supercomputing to power AI at the scale we need, helping generate better insights. All right! Nice teamwork, guys. Search HPE GreenLake. Coming up on the Money Beat podcast, we're looking at the hedge fund world. Hedge funds are losing money overall, but one sector is seeing some big inflows, and Goldman Sachs is opening up an online retail savings bank. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Everything you need to know about money and the markets. And then some. Welcome to the Money Beat podcast on this wonderful Monday in New York City. Paul Vigna, Stephen Grosser here with you. And today we have a very uh, special, special treat for you folks. We've got the Tims. Grosser, we got the Tims, right? Oh, I'm excited. You're excited about yeah, the Tims. Yeah. Tim Puko, Timothy Martin, and the only thing hotter than the beats that these guys cover are the clothes on their shirts on their backs. This this is well, I, know, have, have, I know this is this is great podcasting stuff, right? We're going to talk about who's the better dressed Tim uh, that nobody can see, but trust us, it, this is this matters. Bring all your most descriptive language. Bring all right, yeah. Uh, I I can't do fashion, but I mean the real thing is like if you look at how Tim Barnum dresses, you're just like, how long have you wanted to live in Brooklyn? <laughs> You know, I've I've just stopped denying uh, when people say you look like you live in Brooklyn. I actually live in Manhattan, but I stopped uh, receiving it as an insult uh, years ago. Yeah. Yeah. See, he's got Manhattan fashion sense. Did, was this even for when you were down in Atlanta? Yeah. In people. Hot Atlanta? People always said you look like you should live in Brooklyn, and I got up here and I live in Manhattan. But people, even at, even at the subway station, people will say Brooklyn's that way. I say actually, I live in Washington Heights. See, Thank I like I like what Tim's got going on here. He's got the jacket. He's got a nice tie. He's got the little, what is it, a tie clip? Tie you bar. actually own a tie bar. Multiple Guy tie owns bars. a tie bar. Somebody says tie bar to me, I think of, you know, a restaurant and a bar. You skinny know. tie. Skinny tie. Is that you a skinny a car- tie? Is that cardigan? A you, you had a cardigan on Friday. Yeah. <laughs> it's a regular tie. I'm just, I'm just oversized. Yeah. Um, and uh, you can't forget the tie bar. I have multiple tie bars. Although multiple. We're not, we're not, I think we're leaving poor Tim Puko. Well, now, now Puko, on the other hand, he doesn't have the tie bar. So that that's, but he's, not today. Are, He's got nice, nice brown shoes. Cognac is what Cone- I prefer. Oh, is that with a cognac? Yeah, cognac. See, this is tough, Grocer. And Grocer and I are about the the last two people on the planet you want deciding on fashion oh, issues. I like to comment on it. You I do. I have no you know, fashion sense myself. <laughs> you really don't. I'm a you big can... man. Like, you know, like big and tall is not a place that... Yeah. Uh, Extras from Spotlight. Yeah. I think that's the way to uh, describe his <laughs> <versus> wardrobe. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's it exactly. <laughs> my uh, my my wife told me it's just recently. It's been a recently, hard day for me too. It has. My my wife told me just recently one of her greatest disappointments was the fact that she she thought I could dress myself and realized that I couldn't and realized that it was just like my mother buying me clothes and I have actually no idea of how to dress myself. Well, even worse, when you were on the TV show, doing the Money Beat TV show here. Oh, that was bad. That Joanne was... Poe, the producer, bought you ties. Had to go out and buy me ties. <laughs> My wife dresses me, so I, I can't really claim any victory here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, she well, well all right. She does well. But before we get to the beats, uh, the, the, <laughs> the fashion beat, uh, who wins, Grocer? Who wins, Puko or Martin? I can't see Puko from here. 
I'm, well, in, I'm, in, listen, I'm in the little listen, boys. None room. of our listeners can see any of yeah. this, and we're still doing it. So p- pick a winner. I'm going Tim Puko. You are going Puko. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Word. No, I can't. I got to go Martin. I got to go Martin. <laughs> nice. So now we need Tanya to break the tie. Tanya, our great producer, who's probably the only you know one. What? The gentleman, the blazer, perhaps? It's hard to Next overcome level. a blazer. It's true. It's hard. Martin. Timothy Martin wins. There you go. All right. I can die now. We This podcast is going to be top 10 soon, I can tell. We're going places. Can we talk about your cereal again for like two hours? <laughs> hey, uh, you know, I got some good notice. We got good notice on that <laughs> on that podcast. People liked it. There's also already a Men in Blazers podcast, so be careful that you're not yeah, just yeah. getting into the realm of plagiarism. <laughs> oh, it's God. a man in blazer, actually. Is it? Yeah. Only one of us. Today, All here, right. this is a man in blazer, but right, the well, other show is Men in Blazers. Men in Blazer, we'll download that one. All right, let's, uh, let's get to what we're well known for here. Uh, not our, our haberdashery dashings. Uh, let's talk about the markets. Now, the reason we have both you gentlemen on is interesting. Both of you wrote stories based on the same data set, I believe. Hedge funds. Let's let's talk about hedge funds. Big news in the hedge fund world today. Basically, we got a, we got a, a picture of the kind of money that's going in and out of these things. Yeah, the it, new normal is exodus uh, with with hedge funds. Big investors that I write about, pension funds, endowments, they, their patience is wearing thin with an asset class that has had mixed results and has cost them too much in fees, so they're pulling out. This is actually March. There were $4.6 billion in pullouts from hedge funds. That's the fifth month out of six of the last six where there's been retreat. Now, most corners of the hedge fund world are pulling back, but not not all. Now, put that in perspective. I think in your story, so it was about $14 billion in change for the first quarter how large is that in in terms of historic comparisons? Is that unprecedented? Is that cyclical? Does it normally you know, is it ebb and flow? I mean, how does yeah, that? If we look at the quarterly data forward. over the last twenty years, even it's been one direction up. Yeah. So the hedge fund industry is about three trillion dollars in size. So this isn't hedge funds aren't going away anytime soon. But this the the sheer magnitude and frequency of the of the pullouts from investors that's. That's rare historically. Yeah, and you know the thing I the thing I, I saw in your story, and I actually I underlined it because to me it summed up everything. Is you say here uh, the optimism is fading, even as hedge fund performance improves in March, an all strategies benchmark of hedge funds delivered returns of two point eight two percent, according to Prequin, which tracks hedge fund performance. It was the best month for hedge funds since January of 2012. And if you're telling me that their best month in over four years was 2.82%, well, then I understand why there's no enthusiasm for putting your money with it. And, and, and let's also put that in perspective of <laughs> a lot of the hedge funds benefited from how low stocks had gone. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. I mean, yeah. <laughs> there was a nice little bottom in everything, all I mean, asset from, from classes. From 2012 to now, the markets had a couple of up months. Yeah. Just a couple. So the fact that that's been the performance, that's the larger question. I mean, why are hedge funds underperforming so much? Well, if you talk to my colleague Rob Copeland, the first words out of his mouth would be hedge funds aren't designed to beat the markets, particularly the S&P 500. They're the modern day you know, sales pitch on hedge funds is that they control volatility. If markets have this tremendous downward spike, well, if you have hedge funds, they'll mitigate some of that. Maybe the market's down 20%, but you only lose 10% of, of assets right. you have managed. Um, so what happened to Alpha? Yeah, that's what they're saying now. Now that they're not doing well, that's the old line again, right? 
It was a brilliant turn by the by the hedge fund industry, you know, about a decade ago. I mean, there had been, you know, the the Steve Cohens of the universe that that really did produce huge above market returns, right. but that's a minority of hedge fund managers, and I think uh, pension funds and endowments and insurers that moved into hedge funds in a big way over the past decade, they're now waking up to this fact that, you know what, maybe alpha 20% plus returns, that's not the norm, that's the exception. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but there are cheaper alternatives for all this defense, downside protection stuff that hedge funds, uh, which not too long ago could sort of have a monopoly on in terms of strategy and global tactics. Now we see just run-of-the-mill asset managers reproducing the same strategies at a fraction of the cost. But some of the biggest names in the hedge fund industry have gotten, I mean, like, the first quarter was an incredibly volatile quarter. And some of the biggest names in the hedge fund industry just got crushed. I mean, like, you know, that they're not, it's, they, they performed worse than the market did, far worse than the market did, not even close. I mean, where where's your protection there? I mean, I guess, and that, I mean, and that's the question I think a lot of you know the people you cover are asking right now. Absolutely, the I mean, and what what are hedge funds? Those hedge funds doing that that say bonds or investments and treasuries aren't. Uh, I think that's informing the the exodus now. It's that well, look, you aren't producing the big returns that we might have expected when we were sold this pre-crisis, and now that we're seeing volatility in the markets, we're not necessarily seeing our assets protected and safeguarded in the way that we would have expected. So you combine the, the performance plus the, the cost, the high fees, and it makes for a recipe where a lot of investors are wanting to get out. How much of this is sort of also a change in the sort of market structure where you look at like the rise of ETFs, the amount of money flowing into ETFs, and the, and the fact that like you have a market that's been propped up by the Fed over the last, you know, since the financial crisis, that everything sort of rise, has been rising and correlated and moving together, There's, you know, the, you know, the big macro sort of trends. How much does that make it difficult for hedge funds to sort of separate themselves from the, the you know, the pack from you so know, report, indexes. talking to big investors, you know, Wall Street's biggest buyers, the, the the smart guys say this about the hedge fund industry. There's just too many of them. It had been a smaller trillion dollar industry, and over the last decade or so, it's doubled or tripled in size, right? And there's only so many good ideas. If hedge funds, they're the big way they make money is they expose market inefficiencies, they find opportunities that the broader market doesn't doesn't see. But because there's so much money, and because interest rates are low. There's just less opportunity to be the guy who's uh, an outperformer, who yeah. sees something that the rest of the world doesn't. Let's, uh, let's take a quick break. We're going to come back on the other side. We're going to get in uh, some conversation with Stephen Grosser's fashion hero, Tim Pucco, right after this message. I'm Veronica Dagger. Do you want to know how the rich invest, spend, and protect their money? Then listen to the Watching Your Wealth podcast. For more information, check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts and find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and now Spotify. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Money Beat, the well-dressed Money Beat podcast here on this Monday in Gotham. Uh, Stephen Grosser, Paul Venia, Timothy Martin, Tim Puka. We're talking hedge funds, inflows, outflows, and uh, the hedge fund industry what we're talking about is how much money has been coming out of hedge funds lately this year, especially one sector of the hedge fund world, one corner of that little uh, trillion-dollar industry has seen money coming in, Tim Pucco, and that is your beat, that's your right. specialty. This is, this is the year for commodities, isn't it? Anytime you hit a 12-year low, that's when you want to be in the market, I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, you say it's it as bottom. a joke, but I mean, 
that's that's essentially it's, what happened. It's true. That's actually a big part of the rationale here. Uh, commodities had such a difficult time from you know, 2014 through 2015 that, uh, and then into January that a lot of investors are, are looking at that and saying it's basically the buy low opportunity of a generation. Some people are convinced that oil just can't be at 30 or $40, $45 for more than another few months. And so uh, if there's, you know, if they're used to oil, uh, staying around a hundred, then that's the, your best chance for a huge return. Betting that it gets back to a point that it really, you know, it hasn't been so long since it was there. Um, so you had, I think it was about four four billion dollars in inflows into commodity funds, commodity hedge funds, just in the first three months right. of this year. Uh, their best quarter in in more than six years since the financial crisis, uh, and that's that's on investors' minds too. Like the, thinking about all the bad things that have happened in the economy, you know, all the the fright over a recession, and um, you know, commodities are are a place you can go to get away from that. You know, gold had its best quarter in thirty years, uh, and um, and yeah, so that's that's another opportunity. They uh, Commodity hedge funds did very well in 2009 or 2008 post-crisis, during the crisis. And so investors are just going right back to what worked then. That was, I thought, an interesting thing that that you brought up in your story is that the mindset is, hey, the last time the market was on the skids, you know what did well? Commodities. Which I was, you know, anytime I hear people start talking about that historical comparison and things were like this, this other time, it has to be like this again – I start to get a little nervous. Of course, one thing is the market is nowhere near it was, nowhere near where it was back then, and you hope it doesn't get there. But, and actually, that's my question: the market is not exactly where it was back then. No, no, the fear has been probably disproportionate to the facts. And right. even if you're thinking about commodities as a place to go, I, I. How much sense does that make when you compare what was happening in 2008 to what is happening in 2016? In 2008, you had you know, the, the, one of the most rapid industrializations, if not the most rapid industrialization in the history of mankind going on in China and growth there that was off the charts. So the demand for, for commodities from China was lifting you know, those markets across the board in, 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 in ways that had never been seen. And right now we're in a situation where the slowing of the Chinese economy is one of the reasons that everyone's so scared. So I, it's difficult to square that. Like how, if you're going somewhere for safety, how do you go into markets that have in the last decade been incredibly, if not wholly dependent on consumption in China? Right. How much of it of the turnaround or, you know, in investor opinion, the last two months has been related to sort of an easing of those fears about China and them falling like, you know, having a hard landing? A, a lot of it. You know, when you got down to the extreme lows in January, when the GSCI index did hit its 12 year low and oil was trading at below $30, a lot of that was pure panic. People looking at uh, the gyrations of the Chinese stock market and, um, and, and economic data coming out of China, and everyone was panicking about the chances of a global recession. So there was this huge sell-off. And now, as we've had better data and we realize, you know, the phrase I keep hearing is China is not falling off a cliff. So it's not necessarily that things are great or that things are going to get well. It's just, yes, things are not sinking into the sea. So, hey, let's we don't need to sell, sell, sell all the time. Well, one thing you can't forget is big investors are facing flat, if not negative rates with their fixed income portfolios Mm -hmm. and commodities. Actually, the investors I speak with. Commodities actually represents uh, one of the few chances for them to hit 
whatever their investment target is, even if it means taking on risk or you know having a fun ride with with China. Yeah, and I mean, look, there, there are two aspects to this. One thing, whether or not Tim Puko, you know, the the commodity backdrop is the same. It is hard to argue that you know, uh, and I think oil was down. Wasn't it down something like eighty percent from its all time highs? Uh, I think at it got up to about year. seventy seventy five percent. Seventy seventy five percent. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know. Not for nothing, but that is pretty low. It is hard to get a much bigger drop than that. So, you know, there is some logic to to buying in here. This whole idea of the generational opportunity. There is. And Tim's point is really important because people have to reach so far for returns that everyone is trying to get ahead of the trade. I mean, what are are the best stocks right now, year to date, in the S&P 500? The top two are mining stocks. And three and four are, are E&P companies that produce primarily natural gas. Were there worse commodities last year than metals and natural gas? No. no. And it's, but, but there are and, – and natural gas right now is insanely oversupplied. But everyone, again, is looking at uh, a tr- tremendous amount of budget cuts from both the mining and the E&P sectors. And they're thinking there's going to be a supply shock come the end of the year. That's very much in the realm of possibility. It's already sold off so far that the the gains could be huge. So they buy in now and trying to get ahead and, and making a, a, a pretty speculative bet. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting is speaking to your point is the S&P, you know, 500, the energy sector has been one of the best performing, if not the best mm-hmm. performer this year. Yet as we approach earnings season, they're talking about their first loss since Thomson Reuters, cumulative loss since Thomson Reuters started tracking this back in 2002. Hmm. So it sort of shows you like they're still getting whacked on, you know, their balance sheets or on the income statements. Right. From the you know the fall in energy prices, but people are hoping, you know, that this slight recovery that we've seen this spring, you know, means that we've hit the trough in terms of earnings for energy companies. Yeah, and look, we all we, we've talked about it on this podcast several times that the oil market is in this weird place where nobody wants to really cut back on production because everyone thinks they can still be competitive and squeeze the other guy out. And as soon as the price starts going back up, which is what you want, everybody rushes in even more, which produces more, which oversupplies the market, which puts the price back down, that they're 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 caught in this really an inability to find that equilibrium. The classic prisoner's dilemma. The class right, the classic prisoner's dilemma. You know, Tim Martin, the thing I wanted to ask you, because you talk about pension funds and reaching for yield and, and I think that's a really interesting aspect of the market right now is you have these institutions that are really supposed to be going for just safe, steady, long term investments and returns. And they are being forced because of the market structure. They are being forced to do things that probably are not in their very best interests. What is that? How is that working right now? Yeah, when you talk to them, I mean, this is what keeps them up at night. I mean, traditionally, they've been able to lean on bonds, put a third, if not 40 percent of their portfolio there and generate four, five, six percent. Now those those projections are for zero. So what's what they've fled to is private equity. You see some big investors just sock away their money in cash, Mm -hmm. to be frank. Uh, Real estate, um, infrastructure. The one place that they aren't broadly doing is hedge funds, broadly. Uh, But it looks like commodities might be an exception because probably the the, the potential there is enough that they think that could move them closer to 7.5%. Wow. All right. Let's uh, let's take one more break. We're going to let the Tims go. They can... uh, fight over fashion for the rest of the afternoon. Gentlemen, I want to thank you. When we come back, uh, Goldman Sachs. If you're looking for a bank out there, folks, somewhere to put your deposits, somewhere you think might be safe, 
Goldman Sachs might have a might have an offer for you. And it's not for the one percent anymore. And it's not for the one percent. So stay tuned. Hi, this is Jason Gay, sports writer at the Wall Street Journal, and I have a podcast called Free For All. And guess what? It's not just sports. We'll also talk about some real estate, some music, some culture, some fashion. I could talk about fashion. It's the Free For All. Become a subscriber on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at WSJ Podcasts. And check us out at WSJ.com slash podcasts. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the uh, fashionably challenged Money Beat podcast. Paul Vini and Steve Grosser. And now we have another person in here, John Carney, our great colleague. Hey, Jacket guys. and tie. Looking sharp. Another guy looking sharp. Grosser, we are just. I have to say, Paul, you generally do wear a tie. I do. A lot of times yeah. I do. I didn't today. I'm the jacket. Yeah. I'm, I'm really the, the disaster in the office. In general, uh, men look better when they wear ties. That's the main reason you should do it. I'm like, I'm like, I'm, you I've, hate, I've been, you like, really hate ties. I, I do. I'm, I, like, I sort of go with the Iranian sort of idea where that you don't wear ties because it's Western imperialism. Yeah, don't say, yeah, yeah. yeah. Why don't yeah. you go go with Silicon no, I just, Valley? No, go with the Silicon like, Valley I, I like thing. The, That'll get you yeah, more. That's, that's what you should have said. No, I like, right. I like the, I like the Iranian sympathy one. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. That'll win you some points. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just I'm just a disaster. I mean, I'm like the low bar that everyone has to clear for dressing in this office. <laughs> I, I, you know. It's good of you to fulfill that function. Yeah, no, exactly. I have gra- the graphics department is my low bar. So yeah. if I can if I can if I am dressed better than our graphics but, department, but guys I feel, in general, I mean, are we kidding ourselves? Dudes in general, like we're not good dressers, really. That's Carney, really why you shouldn't try to you know dress yourself. You should just you know dr- dr- dress like your dad dressed. Just like your dad dressed. No, the easiest thing but, is just to buy a couple help? suits. <laughs> you buy a few suits. So the suits suit make everything. They cover up all flaws. The exactly. suit makes the man? Yeah. Yes. I, I, like I mean, I know that. I just don't. Birthday. I was, you know, I was yeah. watching this weekend. All right. Uh, John Carney, have you in here? I didn't see this story. This one has been dropped on me, folks. So if I sound dumb on it, it's part for the course. But it's because I actually didn't see this story before we got in here in the studio. Goldman Sachs is opening up a bank? Well, they've had a bank for quite some time, but what they have done is actually open the bank up to the public, where you can now go and open a savings account with Goldman Sachs. How much money? Uh, There's no minimum. Uh, You can go in and start an account right away. You have to put something in. Um, Actually, to begin with, they'll actually- Is this going to be- Am I going to have a a Goldman Sachs branch in my town? No. What is this? Um, It is a- um, Going to be and uh, and is right now an all online digital bank. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you probably won't have Goldman Sachs ATMs anywhere. Um, there will not be a Goldman Sachs branch at least you know for now. Uh, there's no plans to do this. What they're trying to get into is the the business of doing you know uh, very low cost banking. Right, a, a huge expense for the you know the Wells Fargo's and the J.P. Morgan's and the Bank of America's uh, all all around the country is running these branch mm-hmm. offices. Um, and Goldman's not going to do that. Um, they're they're going you know straight ahead into the future. It's all digital. Um, and so you won't go. They, but you can call them up if you want to talk to them. They have numbers. You know, uh, you just won't be able to walk into a bank branch. But, you know, I mean, when was the last time? I mean, you probably you guys have probably been into bank branches. But when was the last time you actually stood online for a teller or actually wanted to talk to a teller intentionally? 
I, I mean, yeah. I mean, I haven't been in a. I mean, I've been in the branch where you walk into the ATM. I don't go further than that. <laughs> right. I, I have. I have. I've what, been, what's that? Because you had. I've a, walked up to the teller. He's from Verona, New it, Jersey. He I'm, keeps his money in the in the in a mattress. It's because so, I mean, I'm a surprising luddite. But uh, the, the fact of the matter is, I go in pump. there. There's no line. You walk right. right. No one else is in there. Yeah. Nobody wants to. You know. No one is going into the branches. So is th- this is a Goldman Sachs commercial retail bank? It, it is a, ba- re- it is a savings, re- checking accounts, it's, it's, regular banking nope. services. Right now, all it is is a savings account. Just um, savings. Okay. So, and it is it pays a very high rate of interest compared to what you could get in most savings accounts right now. Uh, they're advertising a 1.05 annual percentage rate, which is a lot. Um, considering what people have been taking, you know, the interest rates you've been getting from most banks for a long time. Um, of people like of our age, though, you, I, I can't help but laugh at that being a lot. <laughs> right. No, I mean, right. you know, that, that used to be very low, but, you know, for the past several years, um, most normal. people's savings accounts have oh, paid it's, almost it's, nothing. Right. right. Um, and so, a, a you know, this is almost 10 times what you can get at some bank accounts now. One of the reasons that's possible is because there are a lot of inconvenience conveniences built in here. There are no ATM cards right now. So you can put your money in there, but you have to initiate a wire transfer to get it into another account in order to do an ATM transaction. You you won't get a checkbook, so you can't write checks. Um, you But you could do things hmm. like set up automatic payments uh, that are set up against wire transfers, but you won't be able to get your cash out the way you know you, most of us do but you know a lot of that money is probably in that you're you're accessing on a regular basis is through a checking account anyway yeah so this is a true savings account it's meant to you know not for money that you're you're drawing out all the time but money that you're you're putting aside i mean at 1.05 that pays what like money market accounts pay and those aren't necessarily fdic banks Backed. So there's there, is. is. Is their marketing slogan going to be "Join the One Percenters"? Well, you you <laughs> were actually reading. I can earlier. think of so many good marketing lines. They, they for have this a they one. have a nice marketing line. Yeah, they they've got a uh, you know they they set up a website. Um, you can go there. It's relatively easy to use. It says, uh, "Welcome to Peace of Mind Savings: Online Savings and CDs with great rates you can rely on." You know. Uh, it's a it's a little the rates are a little screwy to be honest there's an online savings account with an a, a 1.05 APR but you could also get a 12 month CD with a 1% i don't understand why i'd lock up the money for 12 months <laughs> for I, I mean less. unless unless you're fearing negative interest rates i mean this is almost a negative interest rate built in there uh but still um you know for a 5 year term you could get 2% the um hmm. It's relatively easy to, you know, go online and set up. Um, and one of the things that they that, you know, they'll probably build this out. You know, I mean, right now there's no access through ATM cards. They don't you know, that's a, a whole different uh, stage of business. But if they are able to attract enough people and um, they actually pay you like a penny for signing up. But that's just to test your current account. You know, they, you need so, to have a bank account somewhere so that you can transfer money right. into it. They'll send you a penny. And then, you know, so, so you actually make money the day you So the, 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 the larger question then is why? why? Yeah, why? <laughs> why? Why is Goldman Sachs opening up a retail online bank? What do they need this for? 
Well, they or they, do they need it at all? One reason they they want um, a there, there's a few regulatory reasons why you'd want to have something like this. One of them is that. The uh, regulations um, reward banks that have what they call net stable funding. So there's a net stable funding requirement that assumes that very large bank accounts and particularly corporate bank accounts and wholesale funding, which is what the bank that Goldman was operating for for years sort of behind the scenes had been using, that that all comes out the minute anybody gets distressed about your bank. Mm -hmm. Uh, Retail funding is pretty stable. You know, most people don't change their bank account. And so the assumption is, so so this stuff is rewarded in in those terms. Uh, So it Mm -hmm. makes sense for them to want to attract retail deposits. Um, I mean, one reason you can tell retail deposits are kind of, are pretty stable is this is how much you have to offer if you're a new bank, right? A right. giant interest rate um, to try to attract people in. Uh, I think, Relatively the, speaking, right. giant. I, I think the other reason is they probably would like to start to use this bank to do other things, like get into doing some of the online lending business that's out there. So, But in order to do that and make it make sense from their perspective, they need a source of stable retail deposits to back that bank. They'll still borrow, you know, wholesale through this bank. But having a core of retail deposits, you know, just like every other old school bank in the world, um, our uh, regulations are now set up to greatly reward banks for doing that. Which, to be honest, is a little ironic, right? Like, we've had people yelling for years, yes. like, right. oh, no, they repealed Glass-Steagall. Right. We need to bring back back Glass-Steagall and instead... Right. Split up the commercial and the investment banks. Right. You know, it's dangerous. And uh, we're moving not it Not that op- any of that isn't true. Right. But we're, 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 the regulations are actually encouraging a movement in the opposite direction. Yeah. Um, you know, Goldman Sachs had, you know... You know the 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 most investment banky of the in, large investment banks that are left um, is now opening a retail right. bank. You know where people are going to be able. To, you know, ordinary Americans for the first time in our lives could. You know, will be able to say, "Well, I'm a customer of Goldman Sachs." <laughs> yeah, where your bank deposits are too big to fail. <laughs> <laughs> they they should hire me as their marketing manager. I would I'm just sure do... that's exactly the slogan that they 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 should have put it right there. <laughs> I would right? do so good. I'd be um, fired in an afternoon. It, it, I, I do have to say, though, I don't want to sound too much like an advertisement for Goldman here. You know, the, the, it is difficult to get at your money. You can only re- withdraw six times per billing cycle. Um, you hmm. can. Uh, you have to transfer money in and out. Um, they say there'll, there'll be no fees on that sort of thing. But again, you know, it, that's a pretty big inconvenience right. tax right. that you're paying. Um, so, you know, it's probably not the sort of thing that's really yet for everyone. Um, interestingly, they've capped it. You can't put more than $250,000 in. I think that's a little revealing about what the purpose of this is, um, meaning the very large deposits are actually penalized and assumed to come out by the regulations. These kind of deposits are assumed to stay. Yeah. So they're basically setting the message, yeah, we're only – we don't want – you know, a millionaire to put a million yeah. bucks in here, two hundred fifty thousand bucks. That's it, and that's what's insured, right? By the it, right, FDIC. that's also what's insured. But it, and the reason why that's insured is, you know, again, one we have caps, but two, they they also want to make sure that they're that they're staying within the regulatory bounds of what is actually rewarded for having retail right. deposits. 
No, what's interesting? This is this seems very. I mean, you know, I just remember back. Um, I had an ING, one of those ING accounts. Right, it was, it was a very similar thing. I mean, there Absolutely. was there was one ATM, I think, outlet in all of New York City. But it was great because I would take a little portion of my, you know, check, you know, the, what my check every week, and you know, put it in there and forget about it. And it, it back then it was, I think, getting close to four percent in interest rate. Um, and this wow. is this is, you know, a long time ago, 4%. fifteen years but, but, ago. But if you, but, but that was great. And if you want to hold, if you want to have some cash, you know, particularly if you're worried about what's happening in the market, you, you know, so you, you know, you say, okay, I don't want to put all of my money into my four hundred one k or or if I do want to put it into my 401k, I don't want it all in the stock market. You know, you 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 may be able to uh, put some of your 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 cash holdings that you'll have pretty good access to. It just you know it takes a couple steps uh, into an online bank account. You know, it doesn't have to be Goldman's. There are other you know uh, online Ally, banks right. as well that are offering pretty good deals. Um, most of them, though. Uh, are exist in terms of like are connected to online wealth managers and that sort of thing, and they're trying to get your businesses in other ways. As far as I can tell, Goldman really isn't even trying to do that. They just want you to open a bank account and maybe buy a couple CDs, and that's it. <laughs> wow. All right. Uh, let's leave it there. Carney, I want to thank you for your time. Steven Grosser, Paul Vigna in the studio. We, You know what's good about the podcast is that we don't really have to be well-dressed because you can't see us at home. You don't know. So you know what I'm going to tell I'm going I'm, I'm to lie to you for once. I'm going to tell you we are very well-dressed, Stephen Grosser and I. We look very sharp I'll, I'll, I'll tell the truth. These guys look sharp even without their ties. <laughs> oh, Carney. You're just you're killing your credibility. <laughs> well, again, nobody can see you. So nobody can see. Tell. All right, everyone. I want to thank you for listening. We appreciate it. We will be back later this week. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.